This is a podcast examining the lives and drives of creative thinkers. People who've turned their dreams into their career. Writers, directors, actors and public speakers, artists and musicians, fellow podcasters, and more. How does creativity work? And how can it pay the bills? This is Created By. My guest this week has a way cooler voice than me. All hail the conquering hero. The land of Wakanda. The one who was supposed to save us all. Lay deep in the heart of Africa. The history of comedy starts February 9th at 10, only on CNN. A special two-night season premiere. But now I must save us. They are artists. Starting August 12th, only on NFL Network. See it all go down at LeBronTime.com. For us. For you. At the U.S. Open. My name is Ike Mari. I was born in Nigeria. I'm of the Igbo tribe. Uh, we moved to the United States when I was a kid. I went to high school and college in Missouri. Um, that was where I really got interested in uh, theater and things of that nature. Uh, I started off doing competitive acting forensics in high school and uh, got a taste for it there, did a lot of theater in high school and then went to college for computer science at first, um, but was doing theater throughout. And so by the time I was done with school, I thought that I was going to be doing programming. I thought I was going to be a programmer, I was going to do CG, and um, I quickly gained a distaste for the job. Not programming, not computers, I still love that, I'm still a huge nerd. Uh, but the job itself just didn't, I, I didn't like it. So I had a friend who worked for Disney doing voices and she uh, introduced me to my coach, uh, my longtime coach now, Bill Holmes. Um, actually, I'll never forget this. The first day, or maybe the second day that I met him, he, he put me in front of a mic and he said, you know, go ahead. And I did uh, my first read and he goes, wow, that was awful. <laughs> but you got a pretty good voice, so we might be able to work with it. <laughs> <laughs> to make a long story short, I spent a year or so bartering with him because I couldn't afford his classes at the time. So I would build his website and do different things like that. And uh, he let me take his classes. And so he made my first demo. I got an agent. And then from there, I would keep doing freelance uh, web design work and different things like that. And I would take the money from my initial voiceover gigs and uh, buy more classes either with Bill or he pointed me to other people. I took classes with, you know, Bob Bergen and several other uh, wonderful voiceover teachers in the city and learned a whole lot uh, pretty quickly. Actually, I went from doing just commercial stuff to doing promo stuff to doing trailer stuff and then eventually doing animation and then eventually video games. And so that's kind of the, the long and the short of it. Well, let me ask you, I mean, I know that you, you mentioned doing like classes, voice acting classes and things like that. Um, how, how does that training differ from just regular live performance or like other acting classes? Like what do those classes focus on? Well, first, I, I should be honest and say that I took a variety of classes. So I during that time, I did take voiceover classes, but I also uh, Bill insisted that I take improv classes, that I keep going with the on-camera classes that I was doing, that um, I take movement classes. Uh, there was a period where he made me watch a bunch of old 
comedies to learn comedic time. Like I, I watched the entire run of the Dick Van Dyke show. I watched the Honeymooners. I watched a lot of those old shows to get that rhythm and timing of, uh, of comedy, which is a lot of people call it comedic timing, but I think it's just, it's, it's a, it's a performative timing that's useful, whether it's comedy or drama or whatever, if you know how to use it. Voiceover classes were unique because most people hate the sound of their voices. They can't stand it. And so for real, yeah, <laughs> that not to sidebar too much, but that has been a hurdle with doing podcasting where it's like, ah, oh, stop talking. Aaron. Exactly. <laughs> but the reason why most people, I think all people actually don't like the sound of their voices because you don't actually know what you sound like. Your voice sounds different on a recording it sounds different to other people and it sounds different in your head and so when you hear it played back to you you you're not hearing what it actually sounds like you're hearing a version of it because how it resonates through your your head and your skull and enters your ears is different than when it's picked up on an electronic device of course so because of that it's not about getting your voice to sound right it's about taking what you hear on the other side and aligning it with what you hear in your head. And so instead of matching them, they just align. And so when you move left, it moves left. When you move right, and so inflection flows as a symbiotic relationship as opposed to trying to force something together. Hmm. Um, that was one of the many lessons that I learned in voiceover classes. The other thing that was very important was learning how to be comfortable in front of a microphone, which is another thing a lot of people don't know how to do. A lot of people, it's like when you put a camera on somebody, they're acting perfectly normal, but as soon as they see a camera and the same thing with a microphone, they start to perform, perform, <laughs> you know, and it changes what's happening and, and all the beautiful naturalness of who they are gets overshadowed by their need to impress or whatever. And so learning how to just be able to be yourself was an essential part of the microphone technique. And then um, lastly, I would say, a big part of it was learning how to be comfortably uncomfortable, right? A lot of uh, VO is taking other people's words, thoughts, and ideas, like, like all acting, taking other people's words, thoughts, and ideas and making them beautiful. And that requires that you be willing to be uncomfortable, but then be comfortable with doing that. And that is just a repetitive practice thing. You mentioned that it's not so much about kind of creating your voice and doing these cool things. It's kind of about being yourself and then and then like letting the character come through that. How does that apply when you're playing more like larger than life characters? Like you you do voices on like troll hunters and, and stuff like, you know, or even in the video games that you've been a part of, there is an elevated sense of reality to a lot of those characters and situations. How do you sort of mesh that fantastic element with just the, you know, EK? It's, it's just basically the way I look at it is layers. The first thing I do is read over it several times and make sure I understand what is happening, what is happening with all the characters, what's happening in the story. I have to know it inside and outside before I jump in and start doing whatever. Whenever I feel comfortable with it, then I start actually not with the voice, but I start with how does this person feel? Like what's going on and seeing how they feel about what's happening. Then I think about you know, their size and what's going on, how they walk, you know, how their voice sounds coming out of their chest, all these different physical manifestations of what's going on. And then I will try the read in just that base start. And then as I go through and read it again and again, I will think about and add different layers. So it may start off with something that's as simple as, 
he was going here to do this. And there's no real performance behind it, but I'm in my brain understanding what needs to happen. Then the layer might, might be next is that he's a big guy, right? And says, so he might have a deeper voice. Okay, I have to add that layer. Then, you know, well, he's angry or, and then by the time I'm done, all the layers have added up. So he's being screwed over in this scene. He's a big guy. He is powerful, but uh, insecurely powerful. So he lashes out. And so I'll read it again and again and again until I feel like every one of those layers is right on point. And then that's what I'll submit. Do you find it a challenge to play like non-human characters? Actually, I sometimes, depending on the character, I enjoy it more. Some of the non-human characters I've played give a sort of freedom because, you know, there's a way humans act. There's, a, there's constraints in that, especially when somebody has written them a particular way. They usually have somebody in mind that they fashioned it after. And so they have a particular set of constraints. But when it's a more fantastic character, that kind of tends to melt away. And they're like, well, I kind of had this vaguely in mind, but let's, let's figure it out. And so you have more room to play and um, decide. I worked on a game years ago called Mass Effect 3. And there's a character in it, Javik, right? Who's a, an, a very, very old alien who gets wake, woken from uh, cryosleep. And so in his era, all the people that he runs to, all the aliens, all the humans were less evolved at the time and he ate them as food. And so now he wakes up to see that all these uh, different species have evolved into sentience and he finds it a little bit irritating. Plus he's been in cryosleep for like hundreds of thousands of years. And so there's all these things to mess around with. So we, we spent, I think the first two sessions messing around with what he was going to sound like. Hmm. Then when we figured out what he was going to sound like, then what his attitude was going to be, how he felt about these different things. And I would show up with suggestions, like what I thought I thought about this. But by the time we got done, we had this really collaborative experience. And I had this character that I just loved. And that was one of my early video game experiences. Speaking of video games, uh, you've done a lot of pretty awesome projects like video games like Halo, Call of Duty, you've been part of Mortal Kombat, uh, Death Stranding, and like a bunch of other ones. Uh, with all those different franchises that you've been a part of, uh, is there one that like you're particularly proud of or one that you had a particularly good time doing? Or I, I would say that I've enjoyed, I know, this is always a cop-out answer, <laughs> I've genuinely enjoyed any time that I've been in a game. I've never been in a game and thought this sucks. But I especially enjoy the games where I get to do mocap. I love doing mocap. But then to be honest, if you would have asked me this question like a year ago, I would have given you a different answer than I'm gonna give you now. There's a game that I'm working on right now um, and it will be out soon. And it is the best experience in gaming of my life, period. What makes the difference? It's that people really care about the story being told. That's a big foundational thing for me. I think video games for me as an art form are about interactive storytelling. And I know that's very basic, but people sometimes forget that, that you're taking an interaction and weaving it into a story to create something compelling. And what makes the difference for me is when people really understand that, but then also strive deeply for excellence in that. When people really press to make it something that is connected, sometimes heartfelt, sometimes funny, you can really create something that stays with people. And that's really what I want to do is whatever I'm working on, I want you to hear it and I want it to stay with you. 
So you played Spartan Locke in yes. uh, the Halo series, which yes. is awesome. I, I loved Halo uh, back in the day. Um, haven't played in a while, but I did play Halo 5. And I remember seeing, I think even before I knew that you were doing the voice for Spartan Locke, I saw the live action promo for it. You know, the uh, the, the one who would save us all. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I just, I, I was so blown away by like there was such a power in that performance that I was like, I don't feel like you were fighting for attention with, with Master Chief. I mean, like you came in and you had the gravity, you had the power and it felt just really, I just remember getting like just major goosebumps from that. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like stepping into the Halo world? I mean, what did that do to your career? Did you notice the change uh, after doing that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Maybe that's a silly question, but- I don't No, know. no, no. It, it, it... It was an interesting thing because there's a lot more to that story of what happened that I still cannot talk about. Mm. But I, I, in short order, basically, the role had already been given to somebody else and that wasn't working out. So they uh, came back to me and asked me, I ended up doing um, a fair amount of mocap and then um, of course voicing the character, but we had to, it was like a hurry up offense. We had to get it done mm. all pretty quickly. When the game came out, it came out to sort of mixed reviews, right? Some people really loved the story and some people really hated the story. And most people really loved the multiplayer and so on and so forth like that. So out of it, for me, because it was such a high profile game, it gave me some more eyes and gave me more opportunities, which was great. But at the same time, as far as like exposure and fandom, I really got to experience the more um, vicious part of fandoms where people, you know, have a lot of uh, vicious, I guess is the best word, things to say about uh, something that you worked on, which is interesting to me because the thing I think as an actor, most often that you're worried about is like, what do people think of my performance? <laughs> what do people think of my performance? You know, but Halo wasn't like that. It was all these other issues that were happening around and nobody really talked about the performance, which I thought was strange. But I count that as a seminal moment in my career because through that experience, I got to meet a lot of other um, people on other projects and it opened up more doors and I'm grateful for it, but it definitely was a mixed bag as far as the experience. So when you're going into that, like how much did they, I mean, you said you had, you had to play catch up and sort of just kind of get into it uh, really quickly. How much time did you have? Like, did they, how much information did they give you on the character? Like how, what kind of like scenario did you build in your mind to kind of get into that space? So I, I had auditioned for the character already um, and everything was, uh, this is the other secret about video games. Nobody tells anybody anything. It really is need to know. So they tell you as little as possible. They change all the names because of secrecy and things getting leaked. Hmm. And so um, I had a pretty good idea. I mean, I didn't know that it was Halo. I didn't know um, that it, he wasn't even named Locke yet. Hmm. I, and so I just knew that he was this tough as nails, military minded guy who was smart and clever, but not a brick. Like he had a sense of humor, you know, there was a heart to him. And that was what I tried to bring together. But he was the main thing about that character was that he was on a mission and he was on a mission that he didn't particularly like, but he did what he thought was best. And so all these things I kind of had a vague idea about. But then when I actually stepped into the role, I got I mean, that first week I spent reading over the scripts that I've been given 
uh, reading Halo lore, understanding what the military looks like in Halo, understanding all these different things. I, I mean, I, I just basically secluded myself from my family and spent a lot of time just brushing up on all that stuff so I could have that to reach for no matter what came up in the script. And it turned out to be very useful. Just on a practical level, how long does it take to record a project like Halo? Well, I think Halo is a bad example that time for me. I would say if you're talking about like a triple A video game, right? Sure. Depending on how many characters you're talking about, I think it can take anywhere from a year to two years to get all the recording and all that stuff done. And you're depending on what character you play, you might be in the booth once a week, you might be in the booth, you know, once a month, you know, and because you'll do something, they'll fit it in, they'll see how it works, they'll play it against others. There's rewrites, there's changes over that process. And sometimes what happens is that game companies come into it with one particular vision. And then for some reason, that vision gets shifted. Sometimes people leave, some people, you know, whatever the case may be, or sometimes an actor's performance will reshape how they see that character and they will alter the script accordingly. And now it's time for the lightning round. Here we go. Texting or talking? Talking. Are you a morning person or a night person? Night all the way. What is the last movie you watched? Extraction. Did you like it? Uh, right up until the end. Okay. That's fair. What's the last TV show you watched? Community. Oh, I love that show. Me too. What is your favorite snack? Cashews. Super strength or super speed? Speed. If you could voice any fictional character, who would it be? Darth Vader. What is your guilty pleasure song? Oh, I don't I don't ever feel bad about the music I listen. <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. It's uh it's uh the Dixie Chicks Landslide. Action or drama? Action. Is Baby Yoda cute? Not really. How many spritzes of cologne is appropriate? I usually go with zero to one. Would you rather ask for permission or forgiveness? Ah, uh, permission. Have you ever walked out of a movie? Yes. What Do you remember what it was? <laughs> I, I do. I walked out of uh, The Last Jedi. Oof. All right. Uh, that's a whole different conversation for a whole different <laughs> podcast, but all right. On a scale of one to 10, how good of a singer are you? I would say a seven. Do you talk during movies? Not really, unless the movie's bad. Do you believe in love at first sight? No. Cilantro, good or bad? Cilantro's good. Yeah. Have you ever been in a fight? Several times. Did you win most of them? Uh, yes, actually. Um, I'm, I'm positive in my record, definitely. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Are you allergic to anything? I don't think so. Would you rather be hot or cold? Hot. On a scale of 1 to 10, how good are you at poker? Not good at all. I barely know how to play. I never really learned. And finally, what is the nerdiest thing about you? <laughs> One of my favorite things to do when I get a new piece of equipment is to sit down and read the manual from front to back. That is completely nerdy, I'm not gonna lie, but I wish I would do that. I feel like I run out of patience before I get through the first page, but I can, you know, that, that's a great answer, I love it.
tell me a little bit about what kind of prep goes into these voice roles. Um, obviously, I'm assuming there's different amounts for long format versus smaller roles. Uh, if you're doing obviously like video games versus like a promo or something like that, what kind of prep do you go through? Can you tell me about some of that? Yeah, it's so it it really does depend on what you're doing specifically. And I think that was why for me, it was so important to go from each genre piece by piece. I didn't jump in and go, blah, I'm doing everything. That's not, I had to learn the specific skill set for each genre. Commercials back in the day used to be, hey, I'm da, 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 da. But what's happened is that as the world has become globalized, everyone hears everything all the time. And so most of us, even back to Generation X, are a bit desensitized to advertising. And so what they've learned is that you won't listen to people who have a heightened thing most of the time, unless you're doing you know, something specific. What you will listen to is somebody who sounds like a friend of yours. If you listen to commercial advertising, what people are always looking for is what they call a conversational read, which is just like this. Like I'm talking to you, you're talking to me, there's nothing crazy going on. And I'm just telling you, and I would just switch into, instead of talking about voiceover, I would talk about how I really love the bank that I go to and that the tellers are always there and they're always useful. And it's really a wonderful place. And your ear is trained to accept it because I sound like I'm just talking to you. Mm -hmm. So preparing for something like that, usually for me, is that I would try to come to first a calm place but it's like everything else. I love the movie, The Matrix. It's one of my favorite movies. It's because of the scene where Neo goes to get the guns, right? And it fills in all the way around him. That's how I prepare for a voiceover audition. So when I read the copy and I look and see what they've written, I want this, I want this, I want this. And then in my imagination, I close my eyes and then I imagine where I am who I'm talking to, what's going on, are they distant, are they far? All these things get filled in and the greater the detail I fill it in, the easier it is for me to take on that role. Hmm. Whether it's a commercial thing, like uh, I was working on these uh, spots for the USPS not too long ago. And it's basically a guy talking about what he genuinely cares about. So in my mind, I thought I was in my cabin, there's two of my friends around and they've just asked me a series of questions and I'm just answering the questions. I can hear the water in the background. I can hear the wood sort of creaking. I can hear the wind whistling through the trees. All these things that I think about to give me a full complete picture of what's going on. And then I speak into that picture. Hmm. And so if we're talking about a promo, a promo is like a heightened commercial where instead of us just having a conversation, I'm really excited about the conversation or I'm really excited about the conversation. But either way, it's not that my voice changes so much, it's that the picture in my head radically changes and it causes me to react into that moment. Is that pretty common with voice actors, to your knowledge, to, to build that kind of internal? I don't know. I, that, that's how I was taught. And so uh, I think different people come to it through different ways. There's definitely people who think like I do, um, I'm, but I'm a completionist. You know, I'm very, very big on telling great stories. And so when I was taught this method, it was actually very difficult for me because you're looking at a piece of paper with words on it. But at the same time, you're supposed to be imagining all this stuff going mm -hmm. on. And it's actually difficult to do. And I know that there were definitely people who were like, I'm going to find a different method and went and did something different. But for me, it, it's made it so that you could hand me just about anything at this time. And then it, it happens automatically. Like the pictures come up and so on and so forth like that. And I'm there. And I can drop into things without having to do 
20 minutes or whatever of preparation. As long as I, you know, I know what's happening, I'm, I'm good. Can you remember like any bizarre feedback or like what's the weirdest feedback you've received while, <laughs> while in the booth? Uh, I've, I've heard it all. I've heard, can you take like 80% of the bass out of your voice? Can you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard everything from that to, you know, I, I just, here, let me say it for you. And then they, they say it and they're like, yeah, do it like that. And then I'll do it the way I heard them do it. And then they'll go, yeah, that sounds awful. Uh, do it the way you want to do it. <laughs> so I know you can't really talk in specifics about the, the, the project you're working on currently, but yeah. um, what is on the horizon for you? Or maybe a better way of asking for it, like what's a goal that you are pushing towards? I think that a lot of the thing today is about you know, adding diversity. Diversity is a big buzzword, diversity, and I think that's fine. But for me, a big goal is that I can't ask for diversity if I don't have my own ideas. Hmm. The future for me is being not only in front of the mic or in the booth, but also having some of my larger, grander ideas come to fruition that would put me on the other side of the glass. Um, so I've got some projects that I've been holding on to for a while, but then also some ideas that I'm working with other people on. And there are some visions that I want to see come to pass. So are you writing? Are you a writer? I do, but I feel like writing is not my forte. Like one of the projects that I'm thinking of right now, I had a, a great idea that came to me in a dream, right? But I don't want to write it. <laughs> I don't want to, because I feel like the people that I know are better writers than me. So one person that I know uh, was asking me about it and I was like, I don't, he was like, let me write it. I was like, okay. So he's been working on it now for like six months or whatever. And he's a way better writer than me. And so uh, when he comes back and says, what about this? What about this? I have an, a vision and ideas for it. And I can give him general guidance and say, this is what I want to see come to pass. But when it comes to the minutia of writing it out, he's just way better than me. Well, that's cool, though. You can share that that kind of vision and that passion with other people. And, and I think I've discovered collaboration to always be the richest source of quality, you know? So, I mean, it's it's cool that you can translate that, I mean, especially from something you dreamt, and to bring that into the reality. I think that's really very cool. Thanks, man. Do you have any advice for young voice actors? I always have the same advice, and that is practice. That is the key for me to everything. This was said to me when I was first starting out, which is that when you go into audition for something, you're usually auditioning not against everybody else who's at your level. You're auditioning against guys and girls who've been doing this sometimes longer than you've been alive. They have friends in the industry, they have connections, they have all this stuff. And you're actually auditioning against them. And so because of that, you need to be able to do this well, actually in excellence, without thinking. And the only way to do that is practice, repetitiveness, doing it over and over and over. Like what we were talking about before, about comfort in front of the mic, about improv skills, about all the different things that go into being able to design and create a character. Um, some, from time to time, I will teach a voiceover class, and that's the thing that we stress the most is that, yeah, this class was great, but now go home and practice.
Practice makes perfect. You've heard that before. I've heard it since childhood. And somehow it still feels meaningful and in some ways kind of enlightening. It's tempting to think sometimes that raw talent is the real key to greatness or success or even consistent work for that matter. Someone like E.K., whose voice is already fun to listen to, well, he must have had it easy, right? But no, it was practice that shaped his raw talent into something powerful and continues to shape it even now. I suspect that most creative people would agree that perfection isn't usually achievable, or at least our standards for our own work make perfection perpetually elusive. And sometimes we're over budget or under a deadline, sometimes we're working for a client, Sometimes we lack the tools to get it just the right way. So does imperfection mean it wasn't worth it? No. So maybe the saying isn't quite right. Practice doesn't necessarily make perfect. Practice makes progress. This podcast and its music are mixed and composed by me, Aaron Milas. We are seven episodes into season one of Created By... Now, I honestly haven't put a firm cap on how many episodes we'll have, so it could be 12, it could be 30, but one thing is certain, at least, there are still several more episodes to go, so if you like what you hear, fear not, there is more to come. If you're enjoying Created By, maybe reach out to somebody you know who's creative and encourage them to listen. We help each other by encouraging one another and learning from one another, and I hope that this podcast can foster that kind of community. Tune in next week to hear from an amazing actress and comedian, Mandel Mon. In the meantime, keep on creating, keep practicing, and stay safe out there.